Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and this is the Made It in Music Podcast, show 161. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full-time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. What is up? Seth Mosley here on the Made It Music podcast. We've got a good one for you here. We've got Jason Davis, my new friend. Yes, yeah, nice to be here. It's funny we uh, we were just talking about before we before we dive into this. It's funny how like sometimes meeting people. It takes like doing a podcast together yep. to, to get us together because both of us have been wanting to, to, to meet each other for a long time yes. now, but finally making it happen, thankfully. Very, very happy about that. So before we jump in, just want to make a quick announcement that this past month at Full Circle Music has been super exciting on our social media accounts. We decided that to better serve you all, we would divide up some of our social media accounts and basically we turned our Full Circle Music Instagram into a Full Circle publishing Instagram account. We have a lot of pieces going on at Full Circle Music. And we just created a brand new Full Circle Music Instagram page. So these changes are going to not only help us better serve you all by providing you know, different types of content for each account, but will really allow you to be clued into what Full Circle Music Publishing and Stacey Wilbur uh, are up to as they provide so many awesome resources to you um, that we want you to know about. So head over to at official FC Music as in Full Circle Music and at FCM Publishing on Instagram and check it out. All right. Let's jump in. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Man, so <clears throat> manager, mm-hmm. author, entrepreneur, Mm-hmm. songwriter mm-hmm. you just kind of do it all well i mean it, it's been it's been 22 years now yeah. uh heading on 23 so i think just all the years have been doing you know doing it and having to at moments reinvent myself you know uh just to stay relevant and cont- find the path where god has me has led me to you know and, and i've i'll say this i've always been very open um, I've always been open to wherever God is leading me. And, and I've also, when it comes to business, can't, can't say this in my personal life too much, but when it comes to business, I've never really had any fear. Um, mm. And so I'm, I'm open to try anything, do anything. I'm, I'm not afraid to fail. Uh, mm. uh, you know, so I, I think that's led me to, to, to dabble in different areas and land in different places, so. Yeah. Well, man, as I, as I was just doing a little research on you and your story and, and trying to kind of prepare for this podcast, I've kind of come up with what I think are three things that really stand out in your story and I think will be a big benefit to everybody listening today. And that that is what, what I'm kind of calling this morning the title of Patience Plus Prayer Plus Proactivity Equals Music Business Success. Mm. Love it. And you've exemplified that really well. So mm-hmm. um, let's start with chapter one, which is the patience part. Yes. Take us way back. How did this whole thing start for you? Like getting into music? Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, I, I guess you could call it patience. Um, I didn't really understand the journey I, I was on when I was a kid. 
uh, I always thought that people in the music industry were the people that were on my television, and people from small towns like me did not get into the music business. But I became just in love, um, kind of addicted to songwriting as a kid. Um, and so I didn't really understand that this was the beginning of a patient journey. But I basically, um, at times living at home when I was a teenager to eventually in my early 20s, having a job, living on my own, I always wrote songs every day. Um, there was probably very few days over, I would say, 15 to 23, maybe about eight years that I did not write songs. Mm. Uh, so it was just something that I did every day. And then when the door cracked open to the music industry and I actually got in it, which I couldn't have even thought was possible... I think just seeing that I had been writing for eight plus years, maybe 10 years with a band, you know, but eight years on my own, I think I saw that, you know, wow, you know, here I've been doing this for eight, nine years and then a door cracked open. And then once I was in the room that I wanted, you know, dreamed of being in, I think I, I always realized that, hey, this this thing was eight years, nine years in the making. Yeah. So if I enter into something and it takes me five to ten years to get there, it's not the end of the world as long as I'm on the path to get there. So. Sure. So start as a songwriter, um, and you had you know you had some success as a songwriter, mm -hmm. but you have this interesting story that we were talking about before of it really started with like five chords. Yes. Do you care to share what you what you had shared with me about that with the audience? Because I think it's a fantastic story. Yeah. So, um, so I, I was first in a band, um, and I was in a band real young, like thirteen, fourteen. Like we had a drummer, guitar player, me. And then when I was fifteen, I got a acoustic guitar through my cousin. My first cousin was throwing out an acoustic guitar, and I got it. And uh, I took one guitar lesson in my whole life. And in that guitar lesson, the guy taught me how to play Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> nice. And then I had a friend of mine who was a guitar player that taught me how to play a song from Poison called Every Rose Has a Thorn, which is really simple. And I think it's five or six chords, the whole song. And I remember sitting in my room at 15, and I was playing Every Rose Has a Thorn, and I literally had this thought in my bedroom in my parents' house. I thought to myself... If this song could be a number one hit for them, this band that I love, and these are the chords, why can't I take these five chords or six chords and write my own number one hit song to it? Yeah. And I literally, for the next, I would say, eight, nine years, wrote well over 300 songs. Mm. And there was very few songs that I did not use those five chords. I mean, I would say I almost never wrote a song that did not have those exact five chords in it um, for the rest of my eight, nine years. I, 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 It was working for me. I knew the chord progression. I knew when I went to a G that it inspired me. And I and I realized, well, if these five chords inspire me and I could keep writing, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't need anything else. And so I basically wrote those five chords over eight, nine years to what I thought in my my childhood bedroom to a number one hit song, you know, and, and that's what cracked the door open to the music industry for me. So that's amazing. So how many did it, you, you mentioned it was over 300 songs. Yeah. Was it, was it like, where was it in that process that you 
landed that that first number one hit? Was that like at the beginning of it? Was probably that... like song three hundred and forty nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it in those first three hundred ish songs over the, over those years that kind of kept you going to do it? Uh, well, when I was twelve. 13 and 14, from 12 to 14, I, there was a lot of abuse going on in my household and, uh, there was a lot of stuff going on between my dad and I, and it was, Mm. it was, it was very abusive. And, uh, thankfully later on in life, my dad accepted the Lord Mm. with me and we had a amazing relationship towards the end of his life, Mm. but it was pretty brutal when I was a teenager. And, uh, you know, to be very open, it was, it was daily beatings, and uh, I, I didn't, you know, when you're a 13 or 12 year old boy, there's really no one to talk to. You yeah. know, if you talk to an adult, you're, you know, your dad might go to jail. You know, yeah. if, if you talk wow. to if you talk to a, another kid, you might become an instant loser. You know, uh, showing weakness in middle school or high school. Mm. And so I really felt like there was no one to talk to about it. And uh, when I got that guitar from my cousin. Um, and I had a guitar in my bedroom. It became literally my therapist. It became my girlfriend. It became my best friend. And I mean, I would cry to it. And mm. and and the uh, every time I would write a song, I was like really wrapping what was going on in my life in mystery. So you know, if I played a song for you, you couldn't figure out what was happening in my life, but I was still able to communicate it. Mm. And it felt safe. And it was very therapeutic. And I think it was the therapy of it and getting to create something. Every time I write a song, I felt like I almost like had a child. Wow. And so I was very therapeutic, and it, it's what kind of kept me alive during those teenage years. So it was just it just became something that I couldn't stop doing. Mm. Um, and I never was doing it thinking I was going to get in the music industry because I didn't think that was possible. I was just doing it because I, I loved it so much and couldn't stop. Wow. Man, thanks for sharing that story. That's 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 a that's powerful for sure. I think songs, you know, we're in a crazy time right now with all this COVID stuff, and I think there's a lot of people that are probably whether they're in a you know similar situation to that, or even just going through the craziness that is happening in the, in the world right now, where songs are becoming that they're becoming the life rafts or becoming the the therapy, like you say. Yeah. So, man, thanks for sharing that. Sure, that's awesome. So. In that process, were you showing these songs to anybody, or was it really just kind of like you were writing them, that one's done, let's write another one? Yeah, so I, I, I would always revolve around, I would uh, gravitate towards friends in middle school and high school that were musicians, and some of them had little, like, recording setups at home. Like, a couple of friends of mine had four tracks hmm. and uh, eventually went to eight ats. And, yeah. and so I would just, you know, I was a writing machine, and they were loving recording, yeah. and and none of my friends were writing as much as me. So I think a couple of these friends that had little four tracks saw that, wow, he's bringing songs to the table that I'm probably not writing. Yeah. And so it was kind of a there there was a good chemistry there where I was bringing the songs, and my friend was trying to grow as a as a producer. And so I would just record, you know, maybe four, five, six songs a year. You know, like the best ones I'd write. And I would give them out to friends, family, some coworkers who in the beginning when I was writing would laugh at me and then eventually turn into like, wow, you're pretty good, you know, over the years. But what happened was um, uh, there was a guy in my area who had a studio in his parents' house. 
and he had grown it over the years from like the four track to like a real recording studio. And I just always recorded with him over the course of eight years. And I didn't know this. I didn't know this, but he used to use my song that eventually landed on a record. Hmm. He used to use it as his example when people would come into his parents' house to, you know, to check oh, out wow. his studio. That's awesome. And he would, you know, he would say to people like, hey, I could do this for you, you know, 500 bucks, I'll record a song for you, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and he would show my song as his example. So there was a band in Christian music called Burlap to Cashmere. I love them. And uh, amazing. Amazing uh, musicians. Yeah, and they had just broken up, and, and they had come off of a pretty awesome ride. They had yeah. broken up, and the keyboard player lived in that area hmm. and showed up at this guy's. Because every, everybody kind of knew about this guy, that he had a studio in his parents' house, and it was a nice studio in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and so he ended up in that studio, and the guy showed him my song as the example of, like, hey, I could do this for you. And the keyboard player recognized, like, that's a pretty good song. Sounds like that could work in Christian music. He was trying to shop a solo deal for himself. And he was the one that played my song, which I didn't even know was happening, Oh wow! to Grant Cunningham at Sparrow. Um, and next thing you know, I was living in upstate New York, and I got this phone call from Grant Cunningham that he had heard a song I wrote. Uh, so that, that's kind of how it all. So you connected. weren't like out pitching it and hustling. No, and saying, yeah. no. And I had no idea that you could even do that. Yeah. You know. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So that's the obviously the songwriter side of you. That's that's I, I love that. That's how you got into it. Because now when you're working as a manager um, with any of your other ventures, you can understand that. Yeah, all this stuff. It starts with a song. Yes. You can have the smartest marketing plan in the world. You can have the best team in the world. But if you don't have the song right on the front end, you, you got nothing. I, I was actually saying this to somebody yesterday. I said, like, all the fight, all the pushing and fighting and challenging, like, it doesn't come when you release the songs. Like, you have to work behind, obviously, any product. Yeah. But the fight really is when you're creating you know, because you can't change something that's already done, mm. you know, and, and a product is a product. Yeah. And I, I always say, you know, all the power or lack of power is contained in that song. Mm. And uh, you can't sell it. You can't you can expose try to expose it. Yeah. But uh, it's it's going to do the work for you or not. You know? Yeah. So, so I, I get that. I get that that it, it is the start of it. But then the thing that I've. And, and as I'm sure you've you've discovered, is obviously the the song has to be right, but then a million other things have to be right too. Yep. So it can't only be the song. Sure. Like that's a part of it. Sure. So talk a little bit about your journey into like okay from songwriter. What was what was the net? Was was it like you jumped into becoming a manager after that, or like how did you? Well, this is another crazy story. Yeah. Uh, well, I think first, you know, I was pitching my songs aggressively. I, I start, once that door opened in for with Sparrow Records in Nashville. You kind of learned, okay, that's the thing. Like I, I, could... I realized, okay, you can do that. Yeah. But I was living in New Jersey, New York, so I started cold calling, literally cold calling record labels in New York City. Wow. And actually, how I would cold call record labels, I know it sounds probably very funny to you, but no. I didn't know what I was doing. So I whipped out uh, – once I landed the song on the record, I whipped out – I looked through my whole CD collection. And on the right hand of the spine, it says the record label name. And I wrote down every record label name on a notepad. And I had – and I know it sounds hilarious, but I had no idea if 
for some reason any of these companies might be in New York City, which is hilarious. <laughs> but I just I just had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So I literally the first the first call I made was to four one one, and I said hi. By any chance, is there a Sony Music in New York City? <laughs> That's and amazing. they and they and the, literally I'll never forget the operator was like. Please hold for your number. I was like, no way. They're wow. in New York City. That's and amazing. so I wrote down the phone numbers of every record label. And I called the first record label, which I wonder was. if that's even still a thing, 411. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> so I called the first record label, which was uh, Epic Records at the time. And uh, I, I literally called up. And I said, hi. Uh, I have these songs. I would like to show them to somebody who's involved in, like, music, you know. And, and they're like, do you know somebody here? Because you have to, you know, you have to be a manager or a lawyer to be able to pitch stuff to us. Mm. And I hung up, not sure what to do. And I thought all night long, and it hit me late at night that night that, well, I definitely can't be a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. But I, and I thought to myself, is there a rule saying, like, I can't manage myself? And I called back the next day, and I said, hi, I'm a manager, and I manage a songwriter. Can I please speak to somebody in the, in the music thing? And they, the operator, like, the, whoever answered the phone from Sony was like, please hold. And they transferred me to A&R. And, and I started leaving messages and begging. And, and one day I called. I just kept calling. And one day I called, and this guy, Marvin Peart, actually answered the phone. Hmm. And that was my first meeting. Uh, and I was pitching my songs. So how did you transition that? Because he's thinking, okay, I'm talking to the manager. Yeah. Do well, you have like an alter persona? No, I, or I just walked in and I said, hey, I've got songs, and yeah. you know, and he didn't, you know, he didn't care. Yeah, he didn't care. So, but in that first meeting, uh, again, I had no idea what I was doing. In that first meeting, he, I, I played him a song. He didn't love it, and he said, well, since you're here, I just want to let you know. I'm looking for songs for this girl. And he held up a picture of Mandy Moore. Huh. He's like, I just signed this girl. She's kind of like a Britney Spears kind of thing. If you have any pop songs that would work for a girl like this, I'm, you know, you could send them along. Mm. And there was something about that moment that clicked for me that, like, wait, they're also, like, they're looking for artists, too. Yeah. Like, just something about him holding up the girl. I was like, maybe I could find the girl, too, or, yeah. or the guy, too. And so I started calling all my musician friends. I was like, if you know any guys or any girls or anybody that sings, like, I, I'm bulldozing my way with persistence into record labels. And, yeah. and I met this girl, Virginia, uh, through a, a musician friend of mine. And she was 16 years old. Mm. And she used to sing at this coffee shop. And I went in. And I heard her sing with my friend, musician friend who knew her. And I had no idea what I was doing. But I realized that my songs I was writing were better than hers. And so I, I met with her in the karaoke coffee shop thing that she was doing. And I said, hey, I want to write a song for you and I want to pitch you to labels. She had a really cool voice. And uh, I basically wrote a song for her, which she did not like. <laughs> um, and I just begged her to sing it. And then I bulldozed my way back into Marvin's office. And I was just trying to pitch songs. Yeah. I, and I thought the artist thing was just like you show people artists and then they sign them or not. But you're not involved in that. You just write songs. Sure. So I walked into Marvin's office. He listened to the one song I wrote with her. And, uh, and I never pitched an artist before. 
And he literally, which you know is this is crazy. He literally, I, I never. This is the first pitch of an artist I ever made. I have no idea what I'm doing. And he looks at me and he goes, "Man, he's like, I don't like this song at all." And he goes, "Who wrote this song?" And I was like, <laughs> I, "I was like, I was like, I, I, I did." And he goes, "Okay." He's like, "But I really like the girl's voice." And I showed him a picture of her, and he goes, "I might be interested in her though." And I said, "Okay." And, and then he says to me, "What?" And and you know, for an a, a vice president of A and R, if the management doesn't know what they're doing, like. You know that's not a good thing. Yeah. You know, and yeah. and and you're probably not going to go along for that ride if you sure. don't know what you're doing as a manager. So this is really crazy because this is Sony Music in New York City, the vice president of A and R for Epic Records at the time, and he literally says to me, he goes, "So what? What's your role with her?" And I said, "What, what do you mean role?" And he goes, "Well, what do you want your role to be with her?" And I said, "I have no idea. What should my role be?" And he goes, "Well, are you her manager?" And I said. I don't know. I said, should I be her manager? And I had no idea what a manager even was. And uh, he, I mean, I knew maybe representing her, uh, but that's it. Yeah. And uh, and I said, should my role be a manager with her? And he goes, well, do you want to be her manager? I said, I mean, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, I think you should be her manager. That's hilarious. I mean, that, I mean, that doesn't happen. No. And that's uh, hilarious. and I was like, okay. <laughs> and, and, I, I, and I walked out of Sony that day, and I literally hit the streets of New York. As soon as I hit the sidewalk, I was like, I guess I'm a manager. <laughs> that's so funny. And that was it. <laughs> and so I, that's how you became a manager? Yeah, and I just stumbled my way through, you know, learning it. And, you know, obviously not doing it that well for several years. but Yeah, and that's, you know, yeah. the, the patience comes in there. So yeah. during those several years, like, I mean, what were – if you can kind of think back to that, what were some of the big roadblocks or things that you kind of kept butting up against when you were early in your management career? Um, I, I would say number one was access. You know, I realized that I needed, I needed to, and there was tons of A&Rs back then. There was A&Rs falling out of trees back then, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. Sure. I knew I needed to know a lot of A&Rs. So just, Building relationships in New York, you know, and, and in mainstream music, it's like two different sides of the country. Yeah. So I had to build relationships in New York, and then I had to build relationships in L.A., and that was just hard. Yeah. You know, it was hard to get into people's offices. It was hard to network. Uh, but, but you know, you just keep going every single day, and you wake up, and you do the work, and you keep calling and keep networking and keep pushing, and little, you know, God keeps, you know, open up doors. And, uh, and then I would say... Just my lack of experience and not not really knowing what I was doing. Um, not I would say one big roadblock for me in the beginning was just not understanding the the attitude and personality of how I needed to operate with human beings. Like, um, you know, I grew up in a situation where I kind of would sometimes watch um, – a family member like kind of blow up a bridge to get what they wanted. Mm. And I kind of learned that as a kid. And I, I did do that a little bit in the beginning of my music industry career. And I saw how destructive that was to a relationship. Mm. And uh, so I think, you know, just and then and then also realizing I think it took me a little bit to realize that the record label is truly a partner. And I kind of viewed the record label as like, you know, you should be doing this more. You should be doing that more. And, and it's it's. 
it's truly a relationship and it's truly a partnership. And you have to take responsibility for your your end of the partnership mm. and, and not expect them to carry the weight. Um, so I think, you know, th- those were some roadblocks in the beginning that, um, you know, I, I, ha- I had to learn. And some of it I learned the, the hard way. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. So fast forward, um, mm. this was, you know, what, what, a pro- about what, what year was this that you would have, like, gotten into management or had that conversation? Uh, I would say, like, 2000, 2001. Okay. Yeah. So when did it start to like click? Like when did that, that patience kind of turn into, you know, you, you, you use this, I, I like this, this metaphor, um, of sort of planting a seed and watering a seed. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Cause that's the thing that you can control. Yes. You know, you show up every day, you can control watering it. You can't control whether it blooms and whether the sun mm-hmm. shines on it in the right mm-hmm. way. So, what was the moment where that kind of that seed started to break through as, well, as a manager? Yeah, I would say the first maybe three and a half to four years, something like that. Um, I was kind of limping along. Um, there were some artists I got deals for. There were some artists I got development deals for back then, which obviously doesn't really happen too much anymore. But but uh, none of those deals really materialized into much, and uh, I was definitely kind of struggling. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, maybe about a year in, my girlfriend at the time, uh, females are always smarter, <laughs> my, my girlfriend at the time said to me, you know what, Jason, I think one of your problems is you need to be surrounded by better songwriters and producers. Hmm. And it just hit me like I knew she was right, and I had no idea how to do that. And I went on this journey of trying to find better songwriters and producers. It was it was hard at first, and then I just started begging and pleading and and begging more record labels to introduce me to songwriters or producers. You know, I would just go into A and R offices and be like, I, I want to do this so bad, and I want to serve artists, and I, I want to I want to give people a real chance, and I need songwriters and producers. Out, can you introduce me to somebody? Mm. And it took a lot of begging and a lot of pleading, and but eventually um, I met a producer, and he had done a couple things on records, but he kept talking about this friend of his named Roy Hamilton, who at the time was a very hot producer. He had just done a song by an artist named Joe called Stutter, which was like a five-week number billboard number one. And yeah. He was working with NSYNC at the time, and 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 he kept saying like, "You gotta, Jay, you're, you know, you're awesome. You gotta meet this friend of mine. He really made it." And I'll never forget. He came into the studio one day, um, and I was like so excited that he came in, and we ended up going out to dinner that night, mm. and I just felt like I'm supposed to pay for dinner, mm. <laughs> and then he was actually leaving a few days later to go to California. Because he had just been hired as a director of A&R for Capital in, in L.A. And he was also being hired as a staff producer for Capital in L.A. And um, which to me was like pretty big because I'd n- not been around producers like that. And we we ended up – we were in a mall on a TJI Fridays and I paid for dinner. And then w- since we were in the mall after dinner, he went into a DVD shop to buy DVDs for the plane flight. Sure. And and he went to the counter and I was like I- I'm gonna buy these for you 
and I, and it felt so cheesy. And looking back, it felt really cheesy, like yeah. buying another man's DVDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he remembered that, huh. and um, uh, you know, he he had said something to that producer, like, "Man, Jay should Jay should move out to LA one day too. Like that that guy's really cool." And and uh, me and the producer start kind of stayed in touch, and he ended up being the first producer I ever managed. Hmm. And he was landing on records left and right and mm. and really in the mix. And um, he found a rapper that he thought was great. Mm. And he signed a production deal with the rapper. And he told the rapper, like, Jason's your manager. Mm. And the rapper at first didn't want me to manage him. <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we had a three-person, you know, we sat down in three of us. Sure. And the producer's like, he is your manager. You understand me? Like, he's your manager. And that was the first time I ever shopped a project to record labels that had a very serious producer involved. Okay. And the difference of reaction I got from record labels was literally jaw-droppingly shocking. Just because the – well, I mean, it's, it's got to be the the, 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 the – The songs were better. The songs. The, the production was better. Yeah. People knew who he was. Yeah. There was some trust in him. Like, they knew that, you know, they could probably get to a success if he was behind it. So that was like a missing piece of the caught the uh, wheel. It, my brains exploded. Because yeah. I, I, I always, even the deals I got and even the uh, even the development deals I got, it was always me pushing and begging and pleading and scratching. like and, yeah. and this was totally different. I mean, I was walking into record labels, watching A&Rs, literally freak out yeah. like i mean they'd hit play and they jump out of their chair and be like do you understand this like <laughs> you know and, and i'd be like i think i'm understanding it you know <laughs> and uh i mean i watched presidents like get you know go walk around their desk sit at the edge of the desk and like look down on us and say let's let me tell you about the history of sony and let me tell you about, you know you're the next mariah carey you know like yeah you know and i've ne- i never saw a label sell me yeah. You know, and, and I realized, wow. And I'm just saying from my perspective. Yeah, yeah. Everything for me was about the producer yeah. and the songwriters. And yeah. and I, I have this passion to try to find artists, but I was never the greatest songwriter. And I needed people around me that were to be able to serve these people that I was meeting. And that that was the missing key, at least for me. Mm. And that's when every, and then all of a sudden I'm getting into president's offices, the labels, and you know, you know the you know relationships are just growing. I mean, once you're you you know this. I mean, once you're in presidents of labels offices, like yeah, you grow. Yeah, you know you learn you learn from the meetings, and people start knowing that you're getting into presidents' offices, and deals are happening, and yeah, and uh, so yeah, that was that was the connector for me. Yeah, it's all it's all the producers and the songs. That's where where it starts. Mm. So. I'm jumping around a little bit, but you've you've hinted at it in this conversation through all those years of patience and just, you know, like you said, persistence. What part has prayer played in, in all of those years of just showing up and mm-hmm. doing what you can do? Well, that's amazing. Uh, amazing question. Uh, so when I started in the music industry, I didn't know God at all. Hmm borderline atheist and brought up in a Jewish household, mom and dad Jewish. Hmm. 
And uh, so I didn't know Jesus at all. I didn't know the Bible. I had no idea about prayer. So when I first started in the music industry, this is what I would always say to myself. I would say, I want to meet the biggest people in the music industry. Like, I want to be at the very, very top of the mountain. Mm. Why did I want that? Because I knew that that's where, like, deals happen, mm. you know? And, and did I want the deals, like, you know, for my own glory? Probably a little bit back then, uh, which is why I struggled, too. That was probably a roadblock for me as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to help people. You know, I, I, I had a dream as a kid that I didn't even know I had, and it happened for me, and my life changed, and I wanted to meet someone that was like me yeah. and, and try to help do that for them. And uh, so when I first started, I always used to say to myself, like, I want to be around the biggest people in the music business. I want to be at the very top of the mountain. I want to be on top of the trees that are on top of the mountain, like, because that's where deals are going to happen. That's where I could help people. You know, and probably back then, sadly, that's where I could get some self-glory. Sure. Um, and it was almost like I was having a conversation with God but not knowing it. Hmm. And it was almost like God was like, are you sure that's what you want? And I was like, yes, that's what I want. And, and it was like God was like, okay, if that's what you want. And over the course of, you know, probably seven to ten years, five to ten years, I I. I grew, you know, and climbed this mountain. God allowed me to climb it without me knowing it was him. Mm. And I got to the very top of the mountain. I was about 10 years in the music industry. And I woke up one day and I realized that I was just surrounded by no one, literally no one that had any character. Mm. And it was really uh, a hard pill to swallow. Wow. And 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 I I'm not saying I was any better than that group back then, but it's just like no one really cared about people besides themselves. Mm. You know, I, I was you know there was I was surrounded by people that would steal things from people or it was just it was like the wild west yeah. and it was like nobody really loved people mm. um, or knew how to. You know, a lot of dishonesty, a lot of just just it was it was very ugly. Sure. And right at that moment, right in that time period, I got saved, mm. like radically. And I found the Bible and I found Jesus and I found myself at nighttime, like crying my eyes out, mm. you know, telling God I loved him for the first time in my life at yeah. 33 years old, which was 13 years ago. Wow. And I was apologizing to God for like 700 things I had done wrong in my life. And I felt like he was forgiving me. Mm. And I just, you know, my life was, my heart was changing. Mm. And then I met my wife five months later. Wow. She, she loved the Lord. She brought me to church for the first time. I started learning better, learning more. And I started learning about prayer. Hmm. And one of the first things that happened when I started learning about prayer was I just felt led to be praying over, like, what I felt like I was, like, surrounded by, like, just – I felt like I was, like, in a sewer, hmm. like, with the yeah. people that surrounded me and just the kinds of – music I was involved in. And I started praying to God. And I actually used to say this in a room by myself when I first learned. And actually, it was somebody that I knew's mom once Mm. walked up to me and said, right after I got saved, shortly after, six months in, she walks up to me. She's a little little mom woman. And she, she looked at me and she pointed at me. And she goes, Jason, when you pray to God, 
do you pray boldly? And I was like, no, I mean, I don't pray boldly. Like, that's God, you know? Like, yeah. You know, and she's like, you need to pray boldly. And uh, that really hit me. Mm. And the first bold prayer I ever, I ever prayed, and I prayed it a lot, was, Lord, you are God. Mm. You know, you are endlessly infinite. Anything's possible. Surely there has to be people in the music industry, songwriters and producers, or just just people in the business that artists could work with that actually have a heart to serve people. Mm. That actually, like, they are at the top of the mountain. They are great at what they do. But they actually love people. And, they know, and, they're, and they're safe. And, like, there has to be somebody on earth like that. Mm. And the circles I was surrounded with in, L- in L.A. and New York just – that that was not around me. Yeah. And God started whispering to me a few months later, like, I want you to pursue the Christian music industry. Hmm. Like, that's where you're going to find the heart. That's where you're going to find the top of the mountain songwriters and producers that actually care about others. Hmm. And, uh, and God just showed me the way hmm. and kind of led me one step at a time. And, and the more I got into back into, I would say, Christian music – uh, the more, you know, God started revealing that this is where you find the heartbeat. Wow. Man, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I just, I resonate a ton with that just because it's really in direct alignment with what we talk about every day at Full Circle is like, I think one of the strategies that God gave me and my wife early on was, you know, it, oftentimes in music business or in any business for that matter, it's kind of a struggle your way to success or mm. whatever that kind of thing, just anything you can do to get there. And our strategy that we felt like God gave us was serve your way to success. Mm. And so that's why that resonates hugely with me. And that's not me tooting our horn saying, hey, we figured that out. But right. it's like that just works. Like it's yeah. it's it's just you feel better about the process. Mm. You're helping people. Mm. And, you know, I think some of even the old sales guys like Zig Ziglar, like you help enough other people get what they want, you get what you want. I think there's some kind of a like a God principle in that, Mm -hmm. even if he didn't know that he was saying that. Yeah. Um, But I just love that, man. And and, and actually, if I could add. Yeah. um, One thing that God has showed me fairly early on, and I, I haven't always done this perfectly, but he showed me early on that. And this is just what I felt like he said to me. Yeah. I felt like he said, because maybe there was enough of this in my life in the past for, sure. for a couple of lifetimes. But he said to me, Jason, when you pray, d- don't pray for yourself. Hmm. Like, always pray for something that will benefit others. Hmm. Like, don't, you're not in it. Like, pray for other people. So the prayer really was like, Lord, please, like, deliver me, like, the best songwriters, the best producers, the best of every, like, the best vocal coach, like, the best of people that will love people, people will be safe, but they're going to get the best of the best, not for my glory. Mm. Like, I no longer, and I'm just being open, I no longer want the fancy car. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah. what, like, and sadly, I wanted that years ago to maybe show people that I wasn't a loser. Sure. Uh, but um, what do I want today? I want to, you know, for God to use my gifts to hopefully, like, love and serve people so their dreams or the dreams that better said he planted in them yeah. can, can be realized or, or have a shot to come true. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I think the ultimate thing that prayer has taught me 
is that's how you insert heart, you know, and love and kindness and and uh, honesty and sincerity and all the good things. That's how that's how that gets inserted into business. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, and, man, and even just in in sort of preparing for this, like as as I was listening through some other interviews and things you've done, just that that really hit me in terms of just prayer. It's such a simple thing that I, I was convicted in that moment of like, man, as a believer, I, that should be the first place I go for, for everything. Like mm-hmm. when I wake up in the morning, that should be the first conversation I have. When I walk into a big meeting, that should be the, the thing that's on my head and not mm-hmm. like, how am I going to impress this person or how, mm-hmm. what's the strategy here? Mm-hmm. It should just be prayer. And, and man, you know, for, for a lot of people out there who aren't believers or Christians listen to that, it may, it may sound kind of woo-woo or whatever, but I mean, that's, I can say for me, that's, mm-hmm. that's what works. And obviously for you, that sounds like a big turning point. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I have noticed this because I've just been, you know, I've been in and out of praying like I should be, yeah. you know, for, you know, at least the last decade. And, uh, I've, there's been seasons where I'm praying like literally over everything. There's seasons where I've prayed before every phone call, before every meeting. There's been seasons where I'm literally on my knees in my office alone before just a typical meeting comes in, asking God to show up and for him to speak through me and and, uh, give me clarity, give those people clarity, whatever. But then there's been seasons where I forget and I don't do it. And uh, what I've noticed that's been amazing to me is every time me and my team go into a season of praying for artists we're working with. Mm. I mean, I, I can't deny the results. Yeah. And it's not that we're doing it to get the result. We're just doing it because that's the right heart to have yeah. for others. But the difference of, like, successes that come versus don't, I mean, it's it's a very noticeable difference. Mm. And uh, at, least, at least for me, no, know, like what I've seen. That's so. your, and, and that's your story. People can't deny that. So yeah. I think that's – and, you know, the other thing I would add to that – is just the should, even the should mentality of like I think I the thing that I've always had to wrestle with because I, I I grew up in the church and grew up going to Christian school my whole life and you know when you're in it the 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 battle isn't isn't even like doing it or not it, it it's it's more like the the feeling of guilt if you're not doing it not where I've come to personally and what me and my wife believe is like it's not a should thing like a relationship it's it's that's all it is it's, it's talking to somebody like course i should talk to my wife but mm. I, I don't want to go into it with a feeling of like obligation or mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i this is something i got to check off my list every day right but i know exactly what you're saying though yeah that makes sense and if we have a super busy day and for some reason we don't get to talk to our wives or husbands or whatever a, a lot that day they're not we're still love the next day they're so. not gonna smack you and say right. hey why didn't you right talk to me for 30 minutes or right. whatever yeah right. yeah so i love that so patience um, prayer, and then obviously the big the big piece that what we can't control is the proactivity part. Yeah, um, you've started and been involved with a whole lot of companies. You've got one one seven is your that's your main mm-hmm. main company. Mm-hmm. You you have Radar yep. Entertainment Group. Um, in the past, you've worked with First Company Management. Yeah, um, you've had a lot of kind of company ventures, which mm-hmm. really the company is kind of the manifestation of like, this is, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe talk a little bit about from that season of like, okay, I want to pursue Christian music. 
you got saved, you had, you feel like you had this whole new spark. Did the companies kind of come out of that season and like, how did, how did that develop? How did that evolve? How did you start those? How did you choose what you wanted to get involved in and how, yeah. how did they grow? So for me, uh, I think everything grew out of my desire to have relationship. Um, I love having relationships with people, and I love the I, I love when the relationships last for a long time. Yeah. You know, I've I've had many relationships that lasted you know twenty twenty five years, and and uh, there's just a depth you get to when you've known somebody for so many years. And I found as an adult. Uh, that I was, I became so busy that I didn't have the kind of time for a relationship that I did maybe when I was in high school. And there's so many people I meet that I'm like, wow, that's like the coolest person ever. And, and there is a part of me inside, um, you know, that is like still like a little bit like a little kid, you know, where I see people, I'm like, I love you. Like, (laughs) you know, like, like you're the coolest person ever. Like, and, uh, and, um, I, I've, I, I, and this is just my story, but like, I, I just don't have time to develop relationships the way that I love to. And I found that when I do business with somebody or I'm involved in business with somebody, it just creates this relationship where there's now an excuse to talk every day, or there's an excuse to talk once a week, or it, I, I found the, the business, the entrepreneurship to be a connection to people that I think like, wow, like. I would love you in my life more, yeah. and how do I get you in my life more? Like, how, how do I, how do how do I become family with you? Yeah. You know, and or and so, um, I think what it's just been is over the the twenty something years. Like, I'll meet somebody, and there's a synergy there, and there's there's a connection there, and there's like this like desire to have a friendship with this person, yeah. and just me wanting them in my life more. And, and my brain always goes to a place like, how could I work with this person? Like, how could I do something with this person yeah. so I could, like, talk to them more, you know, yeah. or yeah. or get them in my life more? Because, you know, I, I just – I love people and I, and I love, you know, like, you know, someone like you. It's like you've got your own experience. You've got your own – God's gifted you with your own, you know, smarts and, you know, like, like all and, – and, and unless you have a relationship with somebody – you don't learn about those things and 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 that person could bring more wisdom to you over the you know more knowledge in different areas so um i've just it's just been me meeting people and then also too maybe meeting people in different areas that i know i am not super strong in mm. but ha- have a desire to grow in or like i might have one piece of something but i realize they have the other mm. and if without that piece i'm not going to succeed in what i'm feeling like desired to try mm. and so it's just been it's it that's kind of how you know and a- everything i do for the most part is uh because i love relationships so much i i do i, I work a lot of partnerships and sure. and uh where it's like i'm not really carrying the full load of that so it allows me to do different things. Sure. Well, maybe talk a little bit about what what do each of those things look like? What is 117? Mm. What does 117 do? What is Radar? Who are some of the artists that you guys work with as a company? Yeah. So 117, uh, it, it really started when I started managing that first producer. It actually started a little bit before that. When I was a songwriter, uh, when I was getting into all these record label meetings as a songwriter, I had other songwriter friends. Mm. 
and I I f- felt this desire to sign them, mm. you know, because I liked their songs and I knew they weren't doing anything with them. And I was like, why don't you let me pitch your songs? Mm. And I and I had a you know a publishing company I had started. You know, you have to start it with ASCAP or BMI. Sure. And I had won a couple ASCAP awards, and I was like, hey, like let me sign you or sign your songs, and I'm gonna bulldoze my way into labels and try to get them on records and. So that that's kind of where One with Seven started. Like I needed a company name, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, and then it was for a while. It was just signing producers. Uh, so I managed several producers in LA and a uh, couple here in Nashville. Uh, but this that was kind of years ago. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know I, I've always had a passion. Like that first artist I pitched to Marvin Peer at Sony years ago. I've always had a passion for. Finding artists and trying to develop them, um, it's, as you know, that's very hard work, but I, yeah. I, I, I love it. So I would say today that's more of an umbrella to try to develop projects or develop artists. Sure. Um, uh, not really, you know, currently not managing any producers. Sure. Uh, Radar Label Group is, there's a partnership I have with a guy named Brooke Heller out of L.A. He's like an alternative music you know, genius, mm. unbelievable with branding and great song guy. And me and him just just hit it off. Mm. And uh, so, um, you know, we, we have one other partner. But uh, that's really – when it comes to alternative artists that I meet, I have like a huge passion for some reason for alternative artists. Yeah. And uh, I, I just love the music. I, I, love, I love the left of center yeah. part of it. Yeah. Um, but – on my own, I couldn't serve those artists like in, you know, from start to finish. Sure. Well, um, I'm good with like songs and helping them get in the room with good people, but when it comes to the management side of things, like definitely, you know, good. But Brooke, Brooke is better. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a partnership we've had for years, uh, where we've signed you know several alternative artists and developed them, and and some have had quite quite a bit of success. Yeah, uh, and we have a few that we're developing right now that are. You well, yeah, know, I mean, I you, Radar has worked with Jimmy World and was it Plain White Tees? Yep, yep, yep. yep. and uh, so, uh, yeah, so that that's that's Radar. Yeah, so. that's awesome. So, um, and, and then it, there's the label side, right? Well, and then we have so then we have Noble Management. So, which is you know, uh, thank you, Lord. You know, me getting back into Christian music. Sure. Uh, and uh, so we manage Austin French, and we manage a new. Uh, we developed and manage a new artist, Ann Wilson, who's uh, signed to Capitol mm. uh, last October. That we're working on her first record. Awesome. Uh, have a we have a uh, a trio that we, we're developing right now that mm. I feel really good about. Um, that's starting to get some label interest. Um, and then the label thing is really uh, – I mean, we do a little bit of that with Radar. So with Radar Label Group on the alternative side, like, we, we will develop artists. And then if they kind of hit a certain level, we'll actually start funding it. Mm. Um, so, the, like, we have two artists signed right now that we're fully, you know, funding everything and, and trying to grow it. You know, even radio promotion and stuff like that for mm. alternative radio. And then um, on the Christian music side – you know, it's it was really uh, Awaken Records is literally just, you know, in the beginning when I was shopping Austin French for a record deal, like we, we were coming up blanks. Sure. <laughs> and it wasn't easy. And uh, we realized, okay, if we're not going to get a deal, we have to do this ourselves. And so um, 
you know, we just have two investors that came along and um, funded his first record. And then on that path of making that record, that's when we partnered with Fairtrade. Mm. Um, we were prepared to go all the way all and fail yeah. miserably ourselves. Sure. <laughs> but uh, but um, uh, thankfully, Fairtrade partnered with us and really hit the radio piece the right way that's uh, awesome. without, us, without us struggling through that. But we, we were ready to go all the way with him. And then, um, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with this trio. But those same investors are like, hey, if, if you hit any roadblocks with them, like, you know, we're in. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a baby seed of, of a, you know, a label. But we're really just funding, sure. you know, a record. Sure. That's really it. So. Yeah, and, and for a lot of people out there who maybe don't realize what all a label does and why an artist would need a label – I think your story with Austin really hits the nail on the head that labels aren't generally signing artists who are at square one. Right. They have to have something going, and obviously that starts with the music. Music's got to be good. The voice has got to be spectacular. But then there's got to be something going on on top of that. Like mm. there's got is, are, is the artist already out there touring? Yeah. Maybe not nowadays in COVID thing, but um, are they releasing music? Are they getting traction on the playlist? Are they starting to get you know, a little bit of radio play here and there. Um, and then, yeah, that's that's really when you need a label is for a format like Christian music or alternative or country, which is very still radio-driven, mm-hmm. despite what a lot of people think, it's still very radio-driven. Very. That's when you need the label. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's smart how you guys have been going about that. Yeah. So can you talk about uh, obviously Austin French? I love love what's going on mm-hmm. with him and mm-hmm. and having a lot of success uh, in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Have some, some really good songs. Love mm-hmm. the Born Again Radio single. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the lessons learned in artist development recently? Because this is, and I'm I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but if you'll allow me to, sure. This is one of the great things I love about our podcast is. Since we started it, even four or five years ago, the music business has changed so much. Right. And probably since we did, you know, this is interview, I don't know, 170 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Since we did interview 10, things are completely different. Mm-hmm. So this is this is where I love to get to, to ask these questions. But when you're thinking about artist development, what are, you know, what are some of the things like when, 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 when that person sent you Austin yeah. French mm-hmm. from the rising star yep. show. Yep. What, obviously the voice has got to be great, but mm-hmm. what, what else? Like, what are you looking for in art, like in an artist when you want to invest or bring, you know, bring other investors alongside? Yeah. So I, I think, uh, the first part of it is, you know, obviously the, the potential, the seed of potential has to be there. Um, I think the first part of it is I usually catch some sort of vision for an artist like some sort of general direction, whether it's a musical direction or it's probably more in the beginning a genre direction. Mm. So when I first saw Austin um, on television uh, on the Rising Star show, the second my eyes laid on him Mm. on TV, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Mm. he's a Christian singer. And I didn't even know he was a Christian. And he wasn't doing Christian music no, on the show. No, and uh, and I saw his entire career happen in a split second, and wow. I and I knew he was going to make it in Christian music. 
So, uh, and that's just the vision I got for him. You know, some artists I meet and I'm like, you know, they're an alternative artist. I mean, I've met artists that tell me they're a country artist. I'm like, you're not a country artist. You're an alternative artist. Like, mm. you know, or vice versa. Like, so I, I feel like. Is that just like a, a gut thing or how, is it like their, the sound of their voice or how, how are you kind um, of interpreting that? I, I just feel like I've met so many artists over the years and I've been doing this for so many years. That and I've seen artists. This is important. I've seen artists change directions over the years. Yeah. Where I knew the artist for five years, and you know, one minute they're a country artist, and the next minute they're an alternative artist, and the next minute they're a Christian artist. Yeah. And it's just like no, like you were always that artist. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so I think seeing artists change over the years, like you know, as they're growing, realizing who they really are. I, I think you know just. The kind of music that their parents were listening to growing up, to to their heart, and you know, I, I feel like that's maybe one of the things I'm good at. Sure. You know, is, is getting a vision for an artist, mainly in the beginning, just just general genre. Sure, you know, not the sure. pinpointed sounds. Sure, and uh, so like for an example with Austin, when he walked in my office, I mean, I had in my head, if he's down with being a Christian artist, I'm down. Yeah, and if he's not. We don't have the same vision. Sure. And so I think a lot of it starts off with vision. And, uh, you know, do I feel like this artist and I have the same thing that we're seeing? Mm. And then it's just, you know, trying to, you know, trying to figure out, like, how well does this person listen? You know, how coachable are they? I mean, I would say, I don't know, I feel like more than anything else, I view myself as a coach. Mm. And I feel like, you know, I've taken all these failures I've been a part of over the years yeah. and, and these, thank God, the successes I've been a part of over the years. And I feel like I'm always coaching and teaching. Mm. And so if I have somebody that's really open to coaching, that's not too sensitive, that isn't too precious about what they're doing, mm. is just, you know, malleable, um, doesn't take things too personally. Yeah. Um, I could tell some hard things to, and, and they, they choose, you know, I, I could put a fork in front of them and say, you should make a left. And they, they end up, you know, understanding why I'm saying left and they make the left. Um, I think just shared vision is so vital mm. to, to have a shot to get there. Um, and I think the coachable thing is, so, so when, when I'm working with an artist, usually what I'm doing, especially like in the beginnings like that, Everything I'm doing ev- almost every single day is th- is just coaching, teaching, coaching, teaching, coaching, teaching. Mm. You know, it's like, okay, how do we get their vocals better? Mm. You know, and I mean, I've, I've when it comes to vocals, you know, not only will I usually put a singer in with a vocal coach, but I'll also like, you know, if there's a certain, like, for example, like if, if they're lacking emotion, mm. you know, I'll send them like, isolated vocals of like Paul McCartney, mm. you know, screaming his head off in the studio yeah. and saying, do you hear that? Like I'll, I'll send them isolated vocals of Michael Jackson, like crying on a record. Yeah. And then two minutes later, he's screaming his lungs out in the vocal booth. And it's like, do you hear how free and fearless they are? Mm. And uh, like, that's where, that's where you need to get to. And just always planting seeds, like showing them, you know, YouTube videos of like live performances, like, you know, um, like, do, do you see how th- this person is engaging the audience right now? Do you mm. do you see, you know, how how, th- how are they moving their hands right now? Like, mm. you need to move your your, you know, hands and arms more when you perform. Like, like at, down to the microscopic details. Yeah. 
if an artist doesn't know how to put themselves together, I'm getting my wife involved, who could be a stylist, and sure. you know, just like we're we're working through outfits, and um, I mean, it, it could be literally a haircut, you sure. know, it, it could be how you're trimming your facial hair, like I mean, I am involved when it comes to the growing up of an artist. It's like every single microscopic detail, down to like how do you walk into meetings, like what are things that record labels want to hear. And why do they want to hear it? Mm-hmm. And and making sure that the artist isn't just faking that answer, but that, that they understand why they need to have their heart in that place and think like that and um, how to tell their story. Yeah. Um, you know, how to walk in a room and light it up, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, just all those different things, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I'm always searching. My brain is searching at all times, mm-hmm. like looking for any ounce of, of lack of education that the artist has, lack of knowledge. I mean, I have artists like th- this 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 um, trio that I'm developing right now. I mean, I have them watching music documentaries. I have them, you know, and I'm like, do you see where the artist made a mistake there? You know, like, and uh, you know, so I mean, I have this group all watching documentaries every week and reporting to me what they got out of it. Yeah. Um, just so when they walk in to the music industry and they walk into labels, they have this kind of history Mm. and they understand like, you know, just the business and why things work, why they don't work. And I also, I also do a lot of coaching on just making sure the artist understands Mm. the actual real deal industry. Mm. Like, you know, like, like when I'm like, like when an artist gets signed to a deal, you know, do they really understand how radio works? Mm. Do they really understand what radio looks like? The odds of it all. You know, how good their first song is going to have to be. You know, why the song, why songs are getting beat up on radio. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I'll, I'll send artists charts every week and I'll tell them certain things to look at on the charts. And do you, do you notice that this song is struggling? Like, let's talk about why it's struggling. Like, you know, and, and not that I've got that all down and I've, you know, I know the answer to everything. But just the, the education part of it, I, I, I've learned that a highly educated artist who is smart, and open and coachable and listens well, um, you know, if, if they've got the seed of potential and the seed of talent, you could grow that over a couple yeah. of years. Or, uh, But it's the coachability and their listening skills that I think are the greatest assets. Yeah. Well, in that, you hit on a really good point. The, if they have the knowledge as a foundation or the education as a foundation, then it helps them overcome those seasons when emotion is going to Mm-hmm. run rampant which mm-hmm. if you're an artist you're going to you're going to be emotional like mm-hmm. you, you should be that's mm-hmm. that's why you're that's part of why you're an artist mm-hmm. and there's going to be seasons when the biggest battle to win is this voice inside your head mm-hmm. of saying why is this person achieving success and it apparently looks like they just happened overnight or why is this song working and my song's not working mm-hmm. like those are the biggest battles mm-hmm. so when you set people up I love how you talk about that as a coach and a teacher you're just preparing them for that. Mm-hmm. And, and also, too, I mean, there, there, there's endless details that I, I could probably remember that I'm coaching yeah. on all the time. I mean, I'm just always coaching. Yeah. But even, like, understanding that, hey, you know, if you get into a room with a songwriter, you know, like someone like you or what, like, you're not going to get into that room 20 times. Yeah. Like, at the best, you're going to get in that room 10 times. Yeah. You know? I mean, at, maybe at, five. At, <laughs> right, but 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 but, but at, really good. But, yeah. but at best, yeah. You know, like yeah. like it, never more than that. Yeah. You know, 
sometimes you're going to get in the room two or three times. Yeah. So, like, I also work with artists, too, on, like, you know, like, um, like one thing I do with artists is the second I start working with them, I have them start sending me every two weeks mandatory, mm. and I mark it off of my calendar, and they tell them the market, and I'll remind them if I don't mm. get it. Mandatory every two weeks, they have to send me a song title list. They have to yeah. send me a song concepts list. Um, and they have to be digging for song ideas and title ideas and concepts mm. every single week. And I'll sometimes have an artist do that for months and months and months before I allow them in a writing room. Yeah. Because I know that, you know, they have to walk in with a seed They're doing the that work. raises the level. It's like Tom, I always talk about how Tom Brady yeah. makes people around him better football players. Yeah. Your job as an artist is to walk in the room and raise the level of the room, raise the inspiration of the room. Yeah. Walk in with a song title that you sit there and say, wow, man, like that's a great title. Yeah. You know, like if you can't do that, it doesn't mean you can't have a career, but it sure helps. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and then and then and then, you know, when somebody asks you, what's it like to work with that artist? You're like, well, they're, they're kind of a real deal thing. Like they had a great voice, they had a great, great song ideas. And then you're more likely to like go back in a room with them, right? You know, exactly. so it, it's all it's coaching on so many different, you know, angles. So. I love that. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Well, um, before we jump into our lightning round, just because you 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 hit on it briefly, I'm always interested. What what are the most recommended music documentaries that you have people that you mm-hmm. work with watch? Um, well. And, and I always go kind of on kicks that I'm on. Yeah. So uh, I would say right now I am uh, madly in love with the new Garth Brooks documentary on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, The Road I'm On. Yeah. Um, to me, it, that that should be a mandatory watch for any artist that's trying to get into the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, episode one, it's two episodes. Episode one tells you all you need to know, and it kind of explains his road to getting a record deal. And I, and I tell everybody, like, that road to him getting a record, like, I tell everybody, this is the number one best-selling artist in music history. Yeah. yeah. And he was walking into labels with what would become his first number one hit. Yeah. And nobody saw it. Yeah. But what did he do? He kept going. And that's why he got a deal. Yeah. And so, um, and I tell people that that's not some wow story. Yeah. That's not like, wow, I can't believe he did that. That is the music industry. Like, mm-hmm. and... Uh, one Republic uh, a couple years ago had a documentary that's on Netflix. I haven't seen that one yet. Uh, that is fantastic. It shows that they had apologized. Yeah. They got dropped from a label. The label didn't recognize it. They didn't know what to do. They put it on MySpace. Became the number one song on MySpace. That's what led them to their second record deal. Yeah. Um, I think the David Foster documentary yeah, it's um, really good. is fantastic. Really good. I think it just shows like... Uh, he, he, just how passionate and determined, how he pushed singers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also shows, like, I love the example in that documentary of Chicago, how he's trying to make them modern. He's working on the Chicago's best album, like, yeah. ever. Yeah, top yeah. And the horns player is forced by David Foster to get on keyboards, and yeah. the horns player, like, hates him for it. But, you know, it was dropping his ego and dropping his identity as an artist mm-hmm. and being willing to just bury it to make a great record yeah. that allowed Chicago to make the best record that they had ever made. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I show artists that. And then there's also like 
I think uh, on YouTube, mm. I think, and this is just stuff I love, but I love Bon Jovi's, uh, John Bon Jovi's speech when he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm. He talks about how he got a record deal, how he went to radio stations himself after no label you know, was interested in him with his first hit song, Runaway. And he got that song, that song was playing on seven states on a bunch of radio stations before he got a deal. Mm. Um, they're also on YouTube. They have the behind the music of the Go-Go's from the 80s. It shows that they had a top 40 hit, We Got the Beat, across the country. Mm. And labels were still saying no. Um, and uh, so, so, I mean, th- those are some of the ones that I lately have been pointing artists to. Yeah. You know, just, just so they understand, like, this is what you're walking into. Like, yeah. you know, th- th- this is a very, very seriously tough journey, but it's the perseverance, it's the not quitting, it's the being coachable, listening, and being willing to stick with it that eventually can land you somewhere. So I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Are you ready for the lightning round? Sure. All right. What would your perfect vacation look like? Man, uh, well, my wife and I, we went to St. Lucia once, and we stayed at, like, the coolest um, coolest room ever. It was, like, open air, yeah. and it was, like, on top of this mountain. And you could – I mean, it was it was unbelievable. So I, we would not go back there, but if I if I could, you know, we would go back there. Okay. So it was, it was a little too on the expensive side. So, <laughs> yeah. If you could create a new ice cream flavor, what would it be? Man. Uh... Uh, well, I love chicken parmesan, so chicken parmesan yeah, hey, ice cream. Hey, will you try it? All right. Try I thought you were gonna say like French vanilla or yeah, something. Get a little it's, artist. No, plug no, no, the... no. It's probably gonna be disgusting, but I'd be willing to try it. <laughs> What's a great book you've read recently? Um, uh, I'm actually reading a book right now. Actually, I c- can't think of the title, but it's a book on Revelation. Mm. It's kind of like unpacking Revelation. Um, and also, too, uh, Kathy Gifford has a book, uh, The Rabbi and the Rock or something like that. Mm. That's a fantastic book. So th- th- those are two phenomenal. I-, I love books where I see a, a different angle or a mystery of Scripture unpacked mm. for me. You That's know? awesome. Um, and, and those two books are, are great you know, for that. So. Very cool. What is the most useless talent you have? Man, uh, I have very little talent <laughs> uh, in my entire life. So, Doubt that's true. Uh, useless talent. Um, man, I, I'm really – it's probably not a good – I'm just really not good at a lot of things. So <laughs> I, I would say that um, I'm probably the one person that maybe can't answer that question. Okay. So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. If you could time travel, where would you go? I would go back to uh, – I would I would love to, to experience three things if I could. Can I pick yep, three things? Sure. I mean, first of all, to me, like to walk this earth with Jesus mm. would have been like, you know, and, and, and boy, do I not need that. I'm good. You know, mm. God is amazing. But, I mean, that, that would have just been, you know, unbelievable to be able to break bread with Jesus in those times. Uh, and I would say uh, I would love to have, even though it would have been brutally hor- horrible and it would have been so rough, 
um, I think it would have been amazing to be with the uh, pilgrims when they founded America. Mm. Um, just, you know, witnessing them on that boat and a lot of them dying, yeah. you know, the first winter as they were yeah. founded, you know. Um, uh, and then, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm just like, I love the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So just to be around, like, I, I always think about, not not always, but... Throughout my life, I've thought a lot about like Benjamin Franklin and mm. like what what it must have been like to be with those kinds of guys that literally like f- you know George Washington like that yeah the founders fought you know for, for literally were willing to die for freedom yeah, yeah. um so yeah that's awesome mm. so this has been awesome we could probably chat for another three hours on all of your successes and things you learned from the business but I know you're a busy man you've mm. got. 117, you've got, uh, you know, the Radar label group. You've got Awaken Records. You've got a lot of stuff going on. And you're also an author. We didn't even touch yeah, on yeah, that in, yeah. in, in, this bit, in, this, uh, in this conversation. So mm-hmm. we are going to do a deep dive mm-hmm. on, you know, why write a book. Okay. How do you release it? All that, all the good stuff like that. Because you've you've been a part of a few of those now. Yeah. So if people are interested in checking out the deep dive, then go to madeitinmusic.com. Check out the show notes for each of the episodes the one for this uh, deep dive is obviously going to be right there so made it music.com jason thanks so much for being on the podcast is there anything you'd want to leave our audience with as we're signing off um i, I think i'm just so thankful that you brought up prayer mm-hmm. um I, I would just encourage people to to pray about things and 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 develop as much of a re- loving relationship with the lord as possible and, um, you know, he, the, the, the Bible says that he is a lamp to our feet. And I have seen that play out in my own life. And uh, so, yeah, I would say prayer. Good. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jason. You're, you're doing amazing work. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us. Thanks for having me.